Father, uh, Father, you're so good to us. <clears throat> we want to give all of us for you. We want to trade everything we have. We sing these lyrics because you're worth it all. Uh, would you truly be worth it all? Would you show up tonight? Um, remind me, uh, remind us that, uh, that you are worth it all. Would you speak through us? And God, thank you for using um, just inadequate people like me. Lord, I stand up here and just confess and brag about my total inadequacy to do this, to get to open up your word for the next 30 minutes and preach, knowing myself, um, it's just dumb that you would choose to use us. And yet you do, and yet you show up, and you are mighty, and you are glorified. And so that's what we ask for. We ask that um, I would just be able to get out of the way, and you could do your thing. Um, and when you show up, lives get changed, and uh, people start falling in love with the God of the universe. And that's what we want, Lord. So be glorified in, in big ways tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey! Um, we are, hi, uh, we are going through a series in Acts. Uh, Tyler kicked it off last week, incredibly. Um, and one of the big things that we want to do over the next six weeks, in this room, with this ministry, with you guys, with whoever walks into these doors, um, is, is we want to make disciples. Right? That's one of the things that, that Tyler really painted for us really well last week. We want to make disciples, and we want to make disciples the way Jesus did. We want to make disciples who then go and make disciples. We talk about it a lot, and we say things like, um, if you're following Jesus, but you're not making disciples, I don't know what you're doing, but you're, you're probably not really following Jesus. Um, and so that's our call. That's really Tyler's heart um, as the leader of this ministry to say, let's go and be a part of what God is doing, and let's not just settle for a once-a-night, kind of a once-a-week thing where we show up and kind of pat each other on the back. Let's make this about God's Great Commission. So that's what Tyler did last week. So we're now in the book of Acts. And one of the big questions that we're asking in the book of Acts is we see something happen. We see God just turn the world upside down. The, the book of Acts, we see 11 guys who kind of turn into 150 guys, and then something incredible happens, and now all of a sudden, a little less than 2,000 years later, we have 2 billion people on this planet who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so something happened that turned the world upside down. And so what we're doing is we're saying, what does that look like? What happened? How did God use these men to turn the world upside down? So today, we are going to be in Acts 4. So if you've got your Bible, or if you've got your iPhone, or smartphone, or whatever it is, uh, start turning to Acts 4, and uh, that's what we're going to be hanging out. One thing I want to say about making disciples, um, this is huge, what is, that? what is that? What is making disciples? That's um, kind of where we're going but the other thing is, um, we can't make disciples of what we are not. So if we say we want to be a part of this radical transformation in the city and in our families' lives and in our, our office places and in our college campuses or wherever it is that God has put you in your sphere of influence, we can't make what we are not. Uh, one of the things we talk about is you have to get it to give it. Um, the ski trip, right? I am a horrible skier. Tyler admits he's on the bunny slopes. I am an awful skier. I know you're looking at me and you're like, that is a fine specimen athlete, right? <laughs> Not true. I am, I am awful at skiing, awful at skiing. So if you came to me and you said, hey, will you teach me and disciple me how to ski, you would be screwed. You would probably die, right? <laughs> if, uh, if you said, man, I want to learn French, would you teach me the nuances of the French language? I have never been to France. I do not speak French. So, yeah, you wouldn't learn French for me. If you were a woman in this room and you said, would you teach me how to be a godly mom? 
I just want to learn how to be a godly mom and what that looks like. I would say, I don't know. I am married to a godly mom, so I'd point you in her direction because I know she is this godly mother of our our 16-month-old, and I've seen incredible things. I'd say, walk with her. Watch her raise our son. Watch her and and say, okay, what did you do when it was a newborn? Okay, what? And she would disciple you. But I don't know. I I don't have a context to understand really what it means to be a godly mom because, believe it or not, I am not a godly mother. So that's where we're at. You have to get it in order to give it. If we're going to be going through a series on making disciples, we're going to start this series. We're going to start tonight with, what does that mean? Do we know what we're doing? Have we been transformed so that we might be a part of God transforming this world, um, wherever that is, whether that's your family or or your school? Okay, so Acts 4. Let me set the stage. You ready? Starts in the beginning. God created, right? Okay, we won't... We won't start that far back. But, but Jesus shows up, right? Jesus shows up. We're going to set the stage for Acts 4. He shows up, God, in the flesh, incarnated in the person of Jesus Christ, lives a perfect, spotless, beautiful life, doesn't sin, um, amazing, spotless lamb. What do we do? Um, we crucify him. He hangs on a cross, his lungs fill with blood, and he dies and carries the sin of the world on his back. Then, three days later, raises again, defeating death, conquering our sin, showing up, revealing himself to a whole bunch of disciples, a whole bunch of followers, spends about 40 days walking with these people, showing them, I am who I said I was. I've conquered death. I am God in the flesh. I am the perfect sacrifice. All of the Old Testament, all of your scriptures, all of your parties and themes and festivals, all of those have gone to point to me. I am the fulfillment of all of them. Mic drop. Matthew 28, he gives the Great Commission, and he takes off into the clouds. That's it. That is Jesus in a nutshell. And the Great Commission, which Tyler talked about last week, he says, now you go. Go and make disciples. Go and be a part of what my Holy Spirit is going to do in flipping this world upside down. So then in Acts 1, you've got a bunch of people. It's kind of a funny scene. You've got a bunch of people who watch Jesus ascend into the clouds. And they're just checking it out. I can't imagine what that would be like. But they're just watching him disappear behind a cloud. And then it kind of implies in Acts 1 that maybe they stand there for hours. I don't know at what point I would stop staring because I know one day he's going to return. And like, maybe that's today, right? He just disappeared. I have no concept of time. I just met him any second. I don't want to miss that. And so they're just standing. And in Acts 1, it's funny, they've got these two guys dressed in white who kind of walk up and everyone's just staring at the sky. And these guys are like, what are y'all doing? What's going on? Oh, we're just looking at Jesus. And these guys say, okay, get to work. Go. Go. He had to send a couple of angels to nudge him and say, okay, great. Amazing exit. Just an amazing mic drop of an exit into the clouds. Incredible. Then they say go. So the church begins. The Holy Spirit falls. The Apostle Peter preaches at Pentecost. And crazy stuff happens. 3,000 people get saved. 3,000 people recognize Jesus Christ who we knew and saw crucified and have heard about, was who he said he was. He is God. He is our only way into the God of the universe through faith in Jesus Christ. 3,000 people give their life to the Lord in this crazy, just jacked up worship service. The church explodes. They're hanging out. They're breaking bread together. They've got this communist utopian society where they just sell all their belongings and share things and just live great life, right? Um, and And that's what they're doing. They're just doing life together, and God is just doing incredible stuff. 
And then Acts 3. Peter and John, two of like the main studs of Jesus, they're walking into the temple. And they're walking into the temple, and they run into this guy who is a lame beggar. His, his feet don't work. From the time he was born, his legs and ankles and feet have never worked. He's never been able to stand or walk. And every day his friends carry him outside the temple, and they set him down, and there he begs for money. And that's his life. So everybody that walks into the temple for his whole life knows, yep, there's the lame beggar. And they pass him and they pass him. Maybe they give him money. Maybe they turn the cold shoulder. Maybe they talk to him for a little bit. But there he is. He's like the mascot of the gates of this temple. And Peter and John walk up to him. And they, they grab his attention and they say, Hey, hey, I don't have any gold. I don't have any silver. But I'll give you what I have. And he looks him in the eye and he says, In the name of Jesus, stand and walk. And he takes his hand and this guy stands up and starts walking. And people flip out. The guy starts jumping and dancing and singing and running around praising the name of Jesus because here he has been his entire life a beggar. His entire life depended on people to carry him and set him down in front of the temple where he would just spend his entire life asking for money and the name of Jesus comes, shows up, and now he's skipping and dancing. They go into the temple, the three of them, and obviously this guy is flailing about and just praising God and praising Jesus. And all of a sudden this crowd gathers and everybody's checking him out and they're leaning in and they're, what's happening? Hey, wait, that's... Scotty, the crippled guy, right? I don't know what his name was. <clears throat> we'll just say Scotty. It sounds like, sounds like a good Hebrew name. So, like, hey, that's Scotty. He's dancing and singing and praising. That is the guy who sits there every day, and now he's been healed from birth. This is amazing. What's going on? Peter and John are like, great opportunity to share the gospel. And so they start teaching in the temple that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. The power of Jesus Christ. Remember that guy, Jesus Christ? Remember a couple of months ago you crucified him? Remember that? He was who he said he was. He was God in flesh and he has the power not only to do little healings like this right now, but much more importantly, to redeem and renovate and turn the world upside down for his purposes, for his glory. And people are leaning in and they're excited and they're, what, man, this is, they're, they're seeing this miracle right there in front of them. Acts 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. They are preaching the gospel, and what happens? The leader of the temple shows up, and these guys who are kind of in charge of the show show up, and they see what's happening, and they, get, they panic. What is going on? They tell them to stop, and they arrest Peter and John for proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 5. And we're going we're gonna to tackle a big chunk here. We've got a big God, so we can do it, but we're going to tackle a big chunk, so stay with me. Thinking caps on. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Cephas and John and Alexander and all who were the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today 
concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom, by the way, you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter, just love the idiot. He gets arrested and he thinks, he gets arrested for preaching the gospel, dragged into trial, and they say, what is going on? And he thinks, oh, another great opportunity to share the gospel. And brings it. He brings it between all the people who just hate him for sharing the gospel. Great, another excuse. And, and these men, I mean, Peter, it's not because he's great. Look at verse 13. Look at what they see, these leaders, these rulers. Look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Man, that's big. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. There's no denying this. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's do this. Let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they decide, hey, what are we going to do, man? These guys are preaching this crazy gospel. What are we going to do? Let's tell them not to speak. That's going to work out great for them. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. And here's, this is good, verse 20. Highlight this if you don't have it. For we cannot but speak of what we have heard, what we have seen, and what we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Man, I love this story. I love this story. What happened here? What I want to do uh, for tonight, to give you a kind of preview of where we're going in the next 20 minutes, I want to talk about what happened, I want to talk about why, and then, spoiler alert, I want to talk about Jesus for a little bit. Yeah. Um, what happened? Acts 4. Peter, John, these guys, they get arrested. They get thrown in front of the council. The council's like, man, what are you guys doing? He preaches the gospel. He says, look, you, you guys can't keep doing that. You just can't keep talking about Jesus. And Peter and John, their reaction is, we cannot but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. We can't help it. Punish us, throw us in jail, kill us, but we can't help it. We have to share about what we have seen and what we have heard. Um, Jesus, he's preached. We see that happen. We see something amazing happen. There's this revival that happens. So, so let's track it back. Jesus preached the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, they're at the beginning of chapter 4. These guys are arrested. They talk about how they can't help it. So how? How does this happen? How does it come from 150 people a group of people who are highly inadequate to do this gospel message, to all of a sudden the world getting turned upside down. How does that happen? 
let me tell you one thing right off the bat that I know and we see real obvious of why it doesn't happen. Here's why it's not happening. It's not happening because of these men. Um, and by that, look at verse 13, right? Remember verse 13, it says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Stop right there. How does revival happen? How do we be a part of this transformation that God is, is doing, right? I'll tell you how it doesn't happen. It doesn't just happen because of us as men and our flesh and our worldly gifts that we think. Peter and John, uneducated guys. Peter. Peter, two months earlier. Two, what was two months ago? This is the beginning of February. Two months ago was like after Thanksgiving. So think of yourself Christmas shopping, right? Thanksgiving is done, your Christmas shopping. Two months before this moment, with this Peter being this bold, standing in front of the most intimidated audience, intimidating audience possible, preaching the gospel, two months ago, he was denying that he knew Jesus Christ to a little girl. That's what Peter was doing. The night that Jesus gets arrested, Jesus says, hey, uh, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And Peter's like, Jesus, shut up. He's like, don't tell me to shut up first. I'm Jesus. Secondly, you're going to deny me. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. He says, I am God incarnate. No, he, it's, not, it's paraphrase. That's the message version. Um, <laughs> Jesus prophesies, you're going to deny me three times. Peter that night denies him three times before the rooster crows. One of those times is to a little girl. Right? A little girl comes up to Peter and says, hey, um, aren't, you, aren't you that friend of, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you that guy who knows Jesus? And Peter is so scared that he's going to be found out that he associates with Jesus, that he denies Christ to an eight-year-old girl. That was like Thanksgiving time. And now all of a sudden we're here and that kind of boldness is happening. The kind of boldness that he is professing it constantly, getting arrested, thrown in jail. He has all night to sit in jail and think about how much trouble he could be in. They pull him back out of jail the next morning throw him up in front of the council, they tell him, don't do this anymore, and he says, sorry, how can I not talk? How can I not talk about what I've seen and what I've heard? That's who Peter is. So it wasn't the person of Peter. So often I think we can look at apostles or missionaries or people who stand up here on stage and say, oh, well, they've got gifts, they got hired by a church, they did this, or they were this person in church history, so they've got all these gifts, and that's for them, that's a lie. Peter was a swearing fisherman who worked for his dad's fishing company. That's who he was. He wasn't this great theologian. He wasn't a great orator. He wasn't... Jesus did this. How does this happen? How does revival and transformation in our lives, and how does this thing get flipped upside down? Jesus is what happened. Look at the rest of verse 13. So they see their uncommon, uneducated men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been... With Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. These men, um, these men had been in the presence of God incarnate. So it's not that they were special and had all these gifts, but they had been around Jesus. Now, here's what they did do they put themselves in a place to see and hear Jesus. When Jesus showed up on the shore, specifically with Peter, he said, Hey, come and follow me. And they said, okay, I want to be around that guy. I want to follow. Three years later, here we see Peter. So Peter and John, they they did some stuff that we can take notes from. They said yes to Jesus. 
they didn't create revival or turn the world upside down because of who they are. It was Jesus that did that. He gets the credit. He is the only way transformation is going to happen in my life, your life, this city, this globe. But they said yes to Jesus when he said, hey, come and follow me. Come and follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Even the call of Jesus Christ, they knew what they were getting into. It wasn't, this wasn't a bait and switch for the disciples. They didn't show up at the Great Commission in Matthew 28 after they had done this three years of getting to hang out with Jesus and see a bunch of cool stuff. And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, I need you guys to go and make disciples so this whole church thing keeps growing. It wasn't a bait and switch. From the very beginning, Jesus said, come, you're fishermen, I will make you fishers of men. You will go and disciple other people. This wasn't a bait and switch. They were inadequate at the beginning, they were inadequate there, but... They got to see and walk with Jesus in a way that changed their lives. And now they just get to be witnesses. The greatness of God in Jesus is what they got to see. And and the other thing we've got to point out is um, what was trying to be snuffed out here? It wasn't really even the miracles, right? The the Sadducees, the rulers, the enemy isn't afraid of, oh, the miracle of the guy who's crippled. Uh, They're not really that threatened by the gathering and the whole sharing of stuff and breaking bread. And they're not really... What, what starts to get them panicked is, hey, quit talking about the resurrection of Jesus. That is where the power is. Quit talking, whatever, miracle, that's cool, guys walking, great. But the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, preaching that gospel, that is what the enemy didn't want to see. Um, so how is Jesus showed up? These men put themselves in a place to be seen and hear and walk with Christ, and then he showed up. Um, So how about you? Um, How does this connect to you? How do you get to be a part of um, Renovate? The the vision of this ministry is let's be a part of this. Uh, We don't want this to be this stale once-a-week service. How does that happen? It's not going to be because of your track record. It's not going to be because you did a really good job keeping the list of Christian things, right? You only saw like three R-rated movies, and one of them was Passion, so you get a pass on that one, like... (laughs) You got the list of like, oh, I only, you know, all of those things. You use rhetoric like I'm trying to guard my girlfriend's heart, right? All of the things that make you a good Christian, right? It's not because of your adequacy. It's not going to be because of your resume. It's going to be because of Christ in your life. That should bring us, brothers and sisters, that should bring us so much freedom and confidence, the fact that this thing isn't about me, it's not about you, it's not about what, how gifted you think you are, how savvy you think you are, how much favor you think you have with people. It's about Christ Jesus in you. That's what it's about. That, the truth that his strength is made perfect in my weakness, oh, we should brag in the ways that we stink at life. Right? We, should, we should boast in our lack of adequacy. That is beautiful. Um, the question is, have we really been around that greatness? Have we experienced, do we have that story to tell? Is our lives being transformed? Um, I'm going to tell a story. 1988 World Series. All the girls I know get this one right there. Like, oh, I love that one. Um, that's my favorite one. Um, uh, I've heard pastors use this uh, story actually a lot as an illustration. They use it as an illustration for um, regret. I'm going to take it in a different angle. But uh, in the 1988 World Series, it's the Dodgers and the A's. It's in Dodger Stadium, game one of the World Series. Uh, it's 4-3, the Dodgers are down, bottom of the ninth, right? Movie, movie style, just dramatic ending in this thing. Uh, there's, there's two outs. 
Dennis Eckersley is the pitcher, and he is shut down closer, right? Nobody scores in the ninth inning when the A's have this guy on the mound pitching. Just nobody can hit off this guy. He's a closer. He's, he is the beast, right? Best closer in baseball in 1988. He's on the mound. They've already got two outs. They, they walk a batter, and so the Dodgers are up. Two outs. They got a guy on base, but, man, they got to get a pinch hitter because it was their pitcher slot. You, you get it, right? <clears throat> so... So he, here's the situation, and Kirk Gibson is their pinch hitter. So they bring in Kirk Gibson in the bottom of the ninth. <clears throat> Kirk Gibson was a stud, super old now, right? And he's got janky knees. Like, the guy can't walk. Like, he's just this janky-kneed old guy, used to be pretty good, now he's just a janky batter. And we're thinking, oh, man, full count, and, and people are discouraged, Right? This, is, this is Eckersley. He's the greatest pitcher, closer, maybe arguably, but certainly in the 80s, he was the beast. And Kirk Gibson, the bottom of the ninth, the music's playing, right? You got the Field of Dreams song or Chariots of Fire, maybe it would be better, right? Slow motion, Kirk Gibson cranks one to right field, home run, two-run home run, Dodgers win, incredible, incredible finish. Kirk Gibson can't run the bases because his knees don't work. Because he's that old. So literally, you should YouTube this. He just kind of has to waddle around the bases because the guy is that busted and broken up. And he gets a two-run homer off of Eckersley in the bottom of the ninth in 1988 World Series. Incredible, right? One of the things you'll see uh, if you ever watch the video is when the camera shows the ball heading into right field. Right, The camera shows this ball heading into the right field bleachers. You'll see these red lights pop up. And these red lights are brake lights. They're brake lights of people who thought, Eckersley's at the plate, two outs, Kirk Janky Knee Gibson is up to the plate. I'm going to go ahead and get in the car and beat the traffic because this game is over. And it's people's cars' brake lights that you can see who are listening on the radio and hear, oh my gosh. And you see their brake lights, and as the camera shows the ball flying to the right field, you see brake lights of all these people who wanted to beat traffic, and so they left the stadium, and they missed one of the greatest comebacks and greatest hits in World Series history. So that's why preachers use that story to talk about regret. But here's the thing I want to talk about. Yeah, that would stink. Because you wanted to beat traffic. Golly. The people in the stadium. Man, those people in that stadium. It's Dodger Stadium. Come back against the hated A's? Think of what they saw. Think of what they heard. Think of what they felt in that stadium when he cranks that home run. Think of how, just the, I just can't imagine the energy going through the roof that that was the narrative that happened. Oh my gosh. Think of the energy. People hugging total strangers, right? Probably people found their future wives that night just because of the, there's a connection, right? I mean, just, amazing stuff, and they're getting to witness it and see it. I mean, they've got to be high-fiving people in the parking lot and just hugging and cheering. I bet it would be hard to go to sleep that night, right? I bet you're laying in bed, and you're just thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I saw that in person. Kirk Gibson against Eckersley in the World Series. I've been following this team my whole life, and that's how this game ends. Oh, my gosh. All the next day at work won't shut up about it probably have the, the stub, right, the ticket from that game still, and they pass it to their kids and their grandkids every year instead of plaque, right? I was there, and they're telling all their coworkers and bragging about it and because they had seen and heard and experienced greatness. They saw something. That is how the world gets turned upside down. 
and not manufactured excitement. But encountering Jesus Christ in a way that we cannot help but to talk about it. His revealed word. We get to meet with Jesus and we get to hear his word spoken over us. His heart for us. His desire for us. His love for us. Watch Christ. Have you experienced that kind of greatness? Are you walking in that kind of transformation of this, this God? Is he transforming your life in that way? Verse 20. I cannot but speak about what I've seen and about what I've heard. If we're going to give, if we're going to be these disciple makers, we have got to get it in order to give it. Let me tell you about the Jesus I know. Um, um, the Jesus that I know that has um, so graciously introduced himself to me, uh, just a broken, jacked up 32-year-old guy, um, man, he is compassionate. And my God is so compassionate. And in Christ, I just look at my life and I think, God, why have you been so good to me? The wife that he's given me, the son, the trials that he's given me in, in having two miscarriages with my wife, and him holding our hand through that entire process. That's the Jesus that I get to see and hear and testify about. Because, man, he was there. And I get to see this Jesus and walk with this Jesus that's so compassionate. And he meets me in places that I don't belong. Throughout my entire life, I wander into places that I do not belong and I am not designed for. And I find myself stuck in sin that I was not made for and that sucks the life out of me. And Jesus has met me there. And he showed up in the midst of, whether it was periods of my life where I'm addicted to pornography or I'm, I'm a, addicted to just laziness or I'm, I'm addicted to my complete love for the world or a really good one, my complete love for myself. Man, I love myself much more than anything else. And I get stuck in this self-worship and Jesus has met me in those dark places. He didn't wait for me to get out of them. That's not my Jesus. The Jesus of the scriptures met me where I don't belong. And he said, I am better than all this. Benjamin, I am better than all this. Jesus has compassion. Jesus is beautiful. That's the Jesus we know, right? Is that the Jesus we've seen and heard? Who shows up in the world, man, the world's attractive. It is. The sin, the, the things that we get caught up in, the things that we are prone to wander to, it's attractive. But it is not beautiful like our Jesus. It is not beautiful like our Jesus. Jesus is beautiful. And he stands next to my sin so patiently and he says, Ben, I'm better than this. What I have for you is better than this. Fellowship with me. Fellowship with the Lord. It's so much better than this. He gives me a new heart. I was having lunch with a buddy of mine today and, uh, and we were just talking about, man, how God has transformed his life. Right, four years ago or so, he just... He was doing his thing and he was just living for the world and kind of doing the, the worldly thing. There's a lot of details that don't really matter that I could share with you. And now the guy just wants to go and die for Christ, right? I mean, he just, everywhere he goes, he talks about Christ. He, he walks with him, not because he's learned some script, 
right? Not because he's been challenged by a church to make disciples. And we said, oh, now go share in the bridge illustration with everyone. And we've learned how to communicate this truth to people. No, he, he has seen and experienced Jesus, and that's how disciples are made. And so he makes disciples because he has been given a new heart. And the things that he used to do and want, he doesn't want anymore. He's found something so much better. And that is what we want to offer as a church. And may this ministry, may this church, may me, may Tyler, may we never get in the way of that and be a distraction. May Casey, our hearts as leaders are, let us get out of the way, point you to Jesus, make much of him, remind you how beautiful, open up his revealed word, and let's meet with him. Let's get that. And then let's talk about discipleship and going and giving what we have seen and what we have heard. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. Um, God, uh, we sing this song. Right before I got up here, we're singing a song, and we're repeating this lyric on a screen that says, and no matter what the cost, I'll follow you. God, that doesn't happen because of religious disciplines. Um, that happens because we've met someone who is worth it all for us to sing that and for us to actually live our lives in that way. Um, Would you just show up? Would you continue to show up? Would you reveal yourself to us in big ways? Would we be people who, um, would we be people who seek your face? Who would we hear you calling on the beach, just run to you and say, yes, I want that. That we wouldn't be intimidated by our own inadequacies or paralyzed by all the things that we're not good at, but instead we'd be able to boast in those and claim the fact that our families, our communities, our workplaces, our college campuses, our homes, they're only going to be transformed by you. And so we want more of you. We're about to sing a song to you, Lord, where we profess what we believe. And this is not doctrine that we're just checking the box of. This is who you are. And as we profess what we believe over and over again, God, would you give us the heart of disciples who are meeting with you and reminding ourselves of that truth. Let us just, let's just soak in this. Thank you, Father, for loving us. In the name of Jesus.